This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools, though today it's not going to be two guys. At first, it's just going to be one guy, me, Elon Dubrovsky. Brian Com is a bit busy, but that is no problem because I had a great conversation with Sean Shapiro all about the Dallas Stars. We're going to get to that in just a second. Beforehand, though, of course, I'll mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, which is the top fantasy hockey website in the world. Still, articles coming out every single day about fantasy hockey, even though there's no NHL action coming. That's how great DauberHockey.com is, so definitely check that out. Also, I want to just give a quick thanks to the patrons of Keeping Carlson for supporting us, even with no fantasy hockey going on. I hope you've all been enjoying this Beat Writer series, and the patrons and myself and Brian have been having a lot of fun in the patron group talking about that and a bunch of other things, including our player rankings, which are going strong. I think Brent Burns is going to get picked today. We'll have to see how the day turns out. Also, we've been doing some fun drafts. We're actually doing a draft this Saturday, so for the patrons listening, uh, we're going to be posting in the Facebook group about an auction draft for I think the 2016-17 season results and we're going to do that on Saturday and anyone could sign up to become a patron and join us for that draft and all the rest of the fun for only a buck a month at keepingcarlson.com slash patron but with that no need for a longer preamble from me let's go to my really fun interview with Sean Shapiro about the Dallas Stars here it is all right, everybody, very excited to bring you this next interview in our 31 Beats series. We're going from a team in Ottawa that we had not very high hopes for going into the season to a team that I thought was going to be a real contender this year, and we'll talk through exactly what happened. We've got covering the Dallas Stars for The Athletic, Sean Shapiro. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Be uh, good to actually talk about real hockey at the I guess at a time like this, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. We uh, I saw news just came out that the AHL season is canceled. I know you also cover the what are they the Texas Stars in the AHL? Yeah, um, I've covered. It's they're the minor league team down there, and uh, the Dallas Stars minor league team is the Texas Stars, and it's actually kind of uh, always paid attention. I would have always probably pay attention to the AHL team anyway, but it's also a league that I've covered a little bit more closely just personally for me because when my kind of introduction to the stars beat was I covered that team down there for four years before I moved up to Dallas. So always uh, ended up kind of, 
inadvertently covering a little bit more of the AHL because I still have some ties down there. So obviously uh, it was a day where you're making some calls today because obviously there's some with, with the AHL officially canceling the season. It really was one of those things where everyone kind of, kind of knew it was going to happen, but obviously a bit of a somber tone for a lot of people because we're not really sure when and what that league will look like when it comes back, because obviously while the NHL has the TV money and we could be talking about looking at playoffs and stuff for that, the AHL is obviously such a gate driven people in the building league to make money. And Mm. obviously that's not getting people into a building. Who knows when that's the next time that's going to be possible. Yeah, well, I feel like it would be really weird to not have a successful AHL just because so many of the players that we see in the big leagues first spent time in the AHL. And I plan to ask you about some of the Texas Stars players later in the interview. So yeah, that that is interesting. I never thought about that part of it. Um, But okay, I guess let's get to Dallas because I want to pack in as much as I can into this interview. There's so many players I wanted to ask you about. And yeah, so first, like just looking at the team in general, like I said, I had huge hopes for the Stars going into this season. They took the eventual champions, the St. Louis Blues, to Game 7 in the second round last year. And then in the summer, they made that big splash in free agency, signing Joe Pavelski to the three-year deal. And like everything was looking good on the team, right? Sagan and Radulov looked as good as ever. Bishon and Hudobin were coming off a season where they were one of the best goalie tandems in the league. Miro Haskinen and Rupe Hintz were looking to be emerging superstars. And then the season started and things really weren't going as planned. The team struggled to score and only managed one win and 16 goals to their first nine games. But then a lot like the 1997-98 Chicago Bulls, and yes, I've been watching a bit of The Last Dance, uh, the Stars figured out how to turn things around and they went on a huge run. They won 13 of their next 16 games and then fast forward a couple months by February 25th, they were riding high. They had a 37, 20 and six record. But then I guess just to keep us on our toes right at the end, Dallas seemed to switch back to their early season cells. They lost six in a row, only scoring nine goals in that span before the season was paused. So my first question for you, Sean, is like which of these two versions of the 2019-20 <laughs> Dallas Stars do you think is the real version and which is the imposter? Like, and do you have any explanation for why they like kind of struggled at first turned around and were amazing. And then things kind of reverted right at the end there. Yeah. I mean, well, the stars are, it's them going through dramatic swings in not just this season, but the past couple seasons, it really isn't that it's kind of the norm for them right now. I mean, if you think about where this franchise has gone in even more in a, in a larger scale to go from, at one point being, if we take this back even further, at one point being the NHL's best team in the Western Conference to being the next year being in the draft lottery. Um, so, I mean, it, so the Stars in general have been very, it's been a major pendulum over the, in the past three or four years. But this season, I I don't think they're, the, they're, they're not the team that, was lost six straight to end the regular season. They're also not the team that was one seven and one. Um, I think they're in many ways. I think they are more of the team that was in between and that team played like a top 10 team for most of the year. They're a team that would be that you would put under the list of contenders. Now I wouldn't put them if the playoffs, if we go back into a playoff format, I wouldn't put them as a favorite. I wouldn't say they're with the Boston Bruins or Tampa Bay or, 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 or even St. Louis right now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but I would say that they're in the, that group of teams that can win a cup. They're in a group of teams that have the pieces to win a cup and they play a style that does is a bit more conducive to playoffs. It's a little bit more, 
more bruising. It's a little bit more who makes the first mistake and the stars play very low risk, low mistake hockey on both ends. So um, they're not the, I don't, I don't think they're the best team in the NHL based off that middle stint, but I think they are in the group that's a contender. And I think, uh, I think overall there's, there's a couple pieces that need to be heavily examined during this break when we're specifically talking about offense, but overall it's a team that if the playoffs are start today, it's not like you would bet. It's not like you would uh, rule them as a quick out. So let's put it that way. Yeah, for sure. Especially with their goaltending. And and like you say, the strong defense, like that does seem like a playoff team, but I'd love to dig into this offense with you, especially because we're primarily a fantasy hockey podcast. So everyone is wondering about what happened to all of these awesome Dallas stars forwards. Like in particular, we have four guys, Sagan, Ben, Radulov and Pavelski. And my co-host Brian and I, you know, projected them going into the season for how many points they'd get. And we were wrong about all four. We were too high on all four of them. And so I'd love to just talk through each of them with you and try to figure out like was this just a one-year thing or maybe are these guys all in decline as they're getting into their either starting their 30s or their or their mid-30s the one thing with all four of them that I noticed is they all saw a decrease in their average ice time per game than what we were used to seeing over the past few years so it'll be interesting kind of to dig into if they lost time on ice and deployment opportunity because scoring wasn't there or if they lost scoring you know because the time on ice and deployment wasn't there so maybe before we get into the specific players do you have a sense of like what, what kind of happened to the offense? Like, why did Sagan, Ben, Radulov, and then newly acquired Pavelski, maybe he's separate, but like, why did Sagan, Ben, Radulov all of a sudden stop scoring? Well, I mean, the, 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 the offensive decline kind of started a little bit last year too. Um, it goes back to, it, it, it goes back to kind of the system. The stars play is a little bit more defensive first. So that definitely plays into it. There is way more of an emphasis on, um, limiting mistakes as opposed to creating risk. That's something that, that, that is kind of systematic with the team. Right. Um, the other thing too, is you have, and this is just you kind of since, since the coaching change, when, when uh, Rick bonus took over as the interim coach, when Jim Montgomery was fired, one of the big changes too, is there are um, Rick bonus leans heavily 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 on the the what they what they call in dallas now the fcc line because it, with uh and uh, radic fox uh, andrew cogliano and blake como and that is a line oh, wow. that gets and that is a line that gets the heavy amount of minutes because it's role of being a it's a it's a shutdown line and it's a line that plays big minutes it's a line that plays in important situations and it takes minutes while it looks like a third line on paper and for example when you go into a morning skate or warm-ups or whatever they're the third line taking rushes they're really effectively a second line in a 1b when it comes to, to usage i mean really um and because of that that's why you see less minutes for radulov you see less minutes for ben sagan's minutes are down a little bit but sagan still gets the bulk of the minutes on the team because he plays in more situations. But, and then the, then the other thing that kind of takes away from those top player minutes as well is with treating that, that FCC line as more of as higher, higher in the hierarchy than maybe they should. You also get to a point where he tries to roll four lines almost to a fault sometimes. And this leads to kind of, 
those top players minutes can kind of end up coming down. And the other big issue too, is you have some young players who probably could do more with more minutes aren't getting them either. So really it's, it's, it's partially when it, when it comes to the time on ice and the deployment, you need, you don't have the, uh, you don't have them rolled. You don't have them deploying the top offensive weapons as much as they should, frankly. And that's that's kind of that's kind of an issue when it comes to the time on ice. And now it's a little bit cyclical too, because obviously if they were having better years, maybe that forces the issue. But it 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 is partially. It is definitely part. The coaching decisions definitely come into play as well. Wow, like I'll be honest, I never heard of this FCC line, Faxa, Cogliano, and Como. They're to blame for all of these people who drafted Dallas Stars players potentially losing their leagues. And I guess for the most part, like you said, we can't really argue that they were a strong team for most of the year aside from a weird start and a weird finish. Wow, okay. Definitely learned something new here. I guess on the East Coast, we don't hear much about the nicknames over in Dallas. Um, so still though, to look into the specific players, like just to see if there's anyone in particular that we should be especially concerned about you know, regardless of the coaching, like Tyler Sagan's been the star of the team for a while. He's been good for like 30 to 35 goals and around 80 points in pretty much every season since he joined Dallas in 2013-14. And that is right until this season, only 17 goals and 50 points in 69 games. That's a 59-point pace if he would have played a full 82. And like on one hand, I see that he had a low shooting percentage this year. Like it was 6.9%. His career average is closer to 11 but also he was taking fewer shots. So, and I guess we can explain these fewer shots by the fact that he was getting so many fewer minutes, one and a half fewer minutes of time on ice per game over his previous couple seasons. So yeah, do you think that Tyler Sagan has lost a step at all or is this just the FCC line eight into his minutes and then that combined with a low shooting percentage caused a down year, but next year we could maybe expect him to go back to like being a 35 goal, 75, 80 point guy. I think there's, I think there is a slight regression. I, there's a slight kind of regression that's, that's happening. Um, I don't think it should be as, as large as it is. And so I, I, whether he jumps back to numbers before this or not is a, is a, is a great question, but I don't think this is, um, well, there's definitely, he's getting less minutes and things like that. The other thing that I think just with, with, with Sagan that we really haven't seen is, he hasn't really had a good start. He, he's a guy who, when he's playing with confidence and he's, and he's playing, he's playing with confidence and playing with the, and, and knows he has the ability to really take over a game. You see him do it. And I think with, with Tyler, I think one of the issues kind of this year is I think it's a little bit of a mental battle with confidence. And he had the seven, I think it was 17 games. He went 17 games without a goal this year, which is the longest of his career. And then he scores in Toronto and gets his first goal in Toronto. And then the next night um, or next night or two nights later, whatever the calendar was, we're in Montreal in an overtime. And then in overtime, he scores arguably the most pick the prettiest goal of the year for the stars where it's a, he scores a superstar style goal where one of those things where it's just clearly the confidence is back there and he's going. And so I think one of Tyler's biggest issues was he didn't really have the strong start in general. And, it's kind of been an, an issue kind of rolling the ball back up the hill. And then the other thing is I think he's kind of figuring out and learning how to adjust to a bit of the aging curve, just as far as it's not a major thing, but there's other minor things where we go back to a couple of years ago where he had the, uh, the, the Achilles injury. And I think it took him a little bit, it, Achilles injury. I think it takes people a little bit longer to get back to full speed than you realize. And, 
So there's been kind of that fight over the past couple of years, just with his body, just to get back to the full speed. Um, and then the other thing too, just in this kind of directly correlates to goals is Sagan. This goes up both on Sagan and the stars coaching staff. They need to be better on utilizing him on the power play. Just to be frank, it's one of those where he used to be that real, you really big weapon on the one timer teams used to use it way more. He was never like an Ovechkin level one timer guy, but he was a guy who you could count on half a dozen goals from there a year. And he's not really getting those opportunities there right now. And I think one of the main reasons is because the stars power play became a little bit too stagnant where they teams either knew they were looking for Sagan there or they weren't moving him around to kind of create enough of an option. So, I think with Sagan, a lot of it, and this will probably contribute to the shooting percentage too, is just getting back to finding that power play consistency. And because of that, I think his numbers will come back up in the future. Now, I don't know if they'll be back to what they were. I think there is a slight regression with age, but it's not, it won't be this bad. At least that's what my belief is. And obviously the stars really have to believe that because they're early in that big, big contract he just signed before last season. Right. Yeah. At least it is heartening to hear, like you said, that, you know, he's still recovering from this Achilles injury, maybe with this pause, that'll give him time to really heal the well, and, injury. And on, and on the Achilles thing, it, that's an injury from, from a couple of years ago. But my point on that was just as far as people forget about the Achilles injury, it's not something where you're up to speed right away. And so right. you come back, you come back from that, you play on it, it's a little bit tough. And so it's just one of those things where it's kind of building up back from something like that. So I'm not saying the Achilles injury is to blame for this season, but it's just something to think about Tyler's trends, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word. And when you talk about the coaching and sort of like utilizing him better, like I noticed just looking at the power play, I'm I'm on frozen tools here. Like uh, last season, he played in 69.9. So basically 70% of the stars power play time on the year. And this season, closer to 50%, 54.4. So it looks like the stars went with more of an even, like two power play units getting even time. And so I wonder, like, do you think that, you know, looking for a coach next year, since Rick Bonus was just an interim coach, do you think they're looking for someone that will, tr- you know, be able to pull more offense out of these guys? Or do you think the Stars are going to be looking for another, like, defensive coach that's going to want to ride the FCC line? Um, well, I mean, the other thing, too, is Rick Bonus could be a candidate for the head coaching job, too. And so that's, right. that's the other, that's going to be, he, he, is, he, is a head, he is a candidate for the head coaching job because... Jim Neal has made it clear that he's not doing a search right now. He wants to see what happens in the playoffs. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with that. Um, Rick Bonus's kind of job status with Dallas depends on if we have a playoff and how the stars doing it. Um, either way, there will be, there definitely has to be a bit of a correction, not a correction, but a bit of an emphasis to bring more offense and get more offense out of this group. And I think one of the things that Jim Montgomery did that, I really liked that Jim Montgomery would do from time to time and the stars, you don't ever see it with Rick bonuses. There would be times where even in games where maybe Ben and Sagan weren't on the same line, maybe they had split the lineup to get something going. There would be an offensive zone draw and Jim Montgomery would put Ben Sagan, Radulov, Klingberg and Hashkin and all on the ice together. He would put all five on the ice together and just go full power in the offensive zone. And that's something Rick bonus you don't see out of Rick bonus. And I think that's something just when you think about coaching, you think about examples of what you'd like to see when you have these type of players and getting the most out of them. That's something I would like to personally see in a hockey coach. Okay. We have the offensive zone draw. We have the upper hand, say it's an icing or whatever. 
let's put our best guys out there. Who cares if they're not on the same line? And I think that's what you need to see more on the power play too. And the stars this season got a little bit too far away from that and tried to got too focused on creating a good second unit. I've just, I've always found it kind of interesting, just personal philosophy of why do teams focus so much on creating a good second unit if you don't have one? I mean, yeah. some of the best power plays in the NHL, what Dovechkin sits there for 95 seconds, like he's waiting for a bus, but it's one of the <laughs> best things, that, but it's one of the best power plays in the NHL. You don't need, you don't see them in Washington saying we have to get Ovechkin off the ice because we need a second unit. Um, so I, I think personally, I think you should create, if you, if you have the tools to create a first unit, yes, you need a second unit, but, lean on the big guys and I think that's something the stars will need more out of and that's something that maybe Rick Bonus thinks about that during this stoppage or maybe the next coach thinks about it but it's something that would definitely help Sagan's numbers and probably help the stars too yeah you would think so yeah it's a very good point like you know you think of also like Pittsburgh right who was on their second power play like no one even knows because it's always like Crosby and Malkin and all those guys out and Dallas seems like the type of team that should be able to run a star-studded top power play with Ben Sagan, Radulov like Pavelski, Klingberg like that's that's pretty good Mm -hmm. uh yeah. So, okay, so I guess going to these other forwards, like we have Jamie Benn, who had already taken a step back from being like this like perennial 73 to up to like 89-point guy when he won the Art Ross. Uh, like last season, he was already taking a step back. He only had 53 points in 78 games. But then this season, it got like a lot worse. His ice time took a tumble, which maybe we've already gotten an explanation for. But he ended up with only... 39 points in 69 games. I think it's like a 46 point pace, his worst point pace since his rookie year. Uh, Is Ben just like on the steep decline that we should like, you know, there's no room to go up because at least with Sagan, you could say a couple years ago, he was good, but I know people have talked about Jamie Ben, like maybe the type of game he plays as a power forward. Like they decline more quickly. Uh, Do you think that there's any room for Ben to get back to being this 70 plus point guy? Or is that like long in the past? I, I don't think it happens again, just to be honest. I mean, I would be really surprised. To me, Jamie Ben has has is on a point is on a is on a point and on a pace where the way he played and when he was at his prime, one of the great things about Jamie Ben's game was he could both physically he could he could hurt you on the score sheet and he could leave a physical impact. And it was right. one of those things where when he was at his at his peak, he was he was great at that. While you may be physically imposing on another team. You are also in the same collision every single time. And so Jamie turns 31 this summer. Jamie Ben is a much older 31 than Tyler Sagan will be at 31 or a player like a McDavid or a Crosby, a guy that hasn't, that didn't play that physical style because of all the, the, the wear and tear of the style he played. And so Jamie, Jamie Ben plays a style where I don't think, frankly, you can play it. 82 games a year successfully um it's something that would never it's something that would never come up in hockey because it's not a quote-unquote hockey thing to do it's a basketball thing to do but if there was ever a load management candidate like you have in the nba for in the nhl it would be jamie ben because jamie ben i don't think he can play his style successfully 82 games a year but if he if you used a load management and played 60 games a year you could get 60 games maybe of an elite version of Jamie Ben. I don't think Jamie Ben would ever agree to that. That's something that I don't think because of the hockey culture and it's never been done before he wouldn't agree to that. But I think it's the same reason we see Jamie play at a top level in the playoffs, which went, which like, for example, in the series against Nashville last year for Dallas, he looked like that top player. And 
you can do that in the playoffs because it's a shorter because you don't have to play as many games. And so if if Jamie Jamie is at a point where there's a steep decline, he is the contract number is never going to look good. The numbers aren't going to be there. And I just to and I'm not I'm not very, I'm not very good at fantasy hockey, so maybe I'm not a good guest for this show. But he's Jamie <laughs> as far no, as no. a but Jamie is someone who is a as a point producer, someone from a fantasy perspective, I would avoid because I don't think the points are ever going to be there anymore. I think it's going to be, you're going to see more and more of this and it's going to be more and more glimpses of, Hey, that's what Jamie is. And that's what he can do in spurts, but he just can't do it consistently over, over a season. So you get games where he disappears and it just happens too often because it turns into a unplanned load management of sorts where his body has to do that right yeah that's actually very fascinating yeah maybe he could have done this through a whole season when he was like 25 years old but now like you say he's like in his 30s and he's weathered like so many seasons of playing in this physical way that yeah but maybe again like some maybe for the playoffs coming up if the nhl does do a playoffs now he'll be well rested maybe he will be able to come up for a spurt but yeah it makes a lot of sense that we shouldn't expect mm-hmm. the jamie ben of old to come back for a full season and i would love to see an nhl team try this load management thing it would be interesting just to see how it works out though that would be very frustrating actually playing fantasy hockey and have your player being benched randomly and not knowing yeah, when he's going to play it would for, for to work in the nhl you'd have to have a uh, you'd have to have a player bring it up because no player wants to be the person who who, who has it done to them right so like mm-hmm. the only way it would work in the nhl is you'd have to have a player and team kind of come together to work on it and then it, the player would have to have success with it because if they weren't playing well after then it would just get scrapped right away so it's something that is uh, it's, 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 it's much easier to apply to basketball because uh, someone can sit for two games and then come in and score 35 points and you can point to evidence and we don't have the raw, we don't have as much of the raw point based counting total evidence like we get in the NBA. Mm. Well, hey, if it ever ends up happening, we can say that you pioneered the idea here on uh, Keeping Carlson. Uh, Okay, so then we go to their free agent signing over the summer, Joe Pavelski, who had only paced for lower than 60 points once outside of his rookie year, and that was in the lockout-shortened season. Aside from that, he's been a perennial, like just amazing, high point guy and in 2018-19 the season before he went to Dallas his numbers were as good as ever right he scored 38 goals he had 64 points in 75 games and Dallas gave him this three-year seven million dollar per year contract and like when he signed the contract like Brian and I were a little bit concerned that Pavelski's 38 goals may have been a bit of a mirage because he only took 188 shots in that year it was like a super high shooting percentage and so but then so we thought okay maybe let's not project him for you know 70 points let's project him for say 60 points and it definitely didn't go that way we ended up being way too high like I'm curious to know as someone covering the stars like how much are the stars regretting or maybe not at all I don't know but like that contract definitely doesn't seem to fit the production which was only 31 points in 67 games less than a 40 point pace uh like obviously it makes sense that Pavelski came in you know when he was on San Jose he was a top line guy you'd imagine he was brought into Dallas to be a second line player so I'd expect that they were expecting some sort of regression but I can't imagine that they were happy with what they got out of Joe Pavelski this season no, there's definitely disappointment with the point totals this year. I mean, the other thing that Dallas Stepavelsky does deserve a ton of credit for, and this isn't a stat sheet thing, but when the Stars were 1-7-1 and one to start the season, they give Pavelski and a lot of the players on that team give Pavelski a ton of credit for being one of the voices that helped oh. settle everything down and helped turn everything around. Now, now that you don't, 
that helped, but you don't pay seven million dollars or seven point five or whatever it was again to for for to to score the amount of points he had this year. So that's obviously a disappointment. And we had, I, I think, there's there's still time for the jury to be out on the Pavelski deal. I think for Dallas, because for a couple of reasons, one, I think we underestimated how valuable Brent Burns was to his to his game on the power play. I think it's one of those things where you look at his connection with Burns and you look at his familiarity with San Jose and, 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 and San Jose's familiarity with him on how to use him on the power play that it's, it's not, I think we kind of assumed you could just plug it in like a video game and he would have that instant chemistry in Dallas. And it, and it took a while. I think him and John Klingberg took a little while to get on the same page. Not that they were, there was animosity between them, but just to kind of, figure out how to play with each other. And we started seeing a lot more of that in, uh, in February, in, in February and a little bit into March of them starting to play a little bit more of that two man game on the power play and to find each other more. And so I, I think there is, there's light and optimism for Pavelski. I'm not saying he'll score 38 goals again. I don't think that's fair, but I do think there is definitely a learning curve based off so long in San Jose, so long in a system that was, built and understood around him right in front of that net and the adjustment. And so um, will obviously there needs to be, there needs to be more production. And I think that's something that we're going to see more of as the stars kind of grow more comfortable with him and understanding his role. It just took the, the application and the adjustment just took longer than any of us really expected. And I'm not sure if we set an unfair expectation for that. I'm not really sure on, on when you, when you look at that, but that, that to me is, I think the Pavelski signing in the long run still has a chance to not be a regrettable signing. I'll put it that way, because um, if he comes out next year and he fits perfectly and he fits perfectly, it'll be a good, it'll be a good move. And if we come back out and him and Klingberg really were finding that chemistry and the playoffs come around and, Joe Pavelski looks like the old Joe Pavelski in the playoffs and the stars will be happy because they, they got through this low scoring season. They're still going to be in the playoffs. So um, there's time on Pavelski, um, which is kind of funny to say for one of the oldest guys, but (laughs) just because, but but just because of the way he plays and where he plays on the power play, it's not like we're talking about a guy who was fast in the first place anyway. Right. That makes sense. I guess it's interesting because you say that he was starting to develop this chemistry on the power play, though, on the other hand, as the season went on, his ice time kept on going down. Like, I wonder if he was in Rick Bonus's doghouse a little bit. Like, he was playing only around 15 minutes per game and sometimes less near the end of the season. Do you know if, like, it's the kind of thing where Pavelski should be hoping for a new coach to come in if he's going to get back to those higher numbers? Uh, probably, but then again, I mean, that's, that's probably, and that's kind of ties into a little bit more just with the over overly emphasis on let's roll four lines, let's roll four yeah. lines. And I, th- I think that's kind of, I don't, Pavelski wasn't in a doghouse or anything like that. Um, it was just more of, we're going to keep rolling four lines and we're going to keep doing this and players who are used to playing more or used to playing more minutes are the ones that end up hurting more. If you take a if you take a guy who's used to playing 13, 14 minutes and they're still playing 13, 14 minutes, there's no adjustment. If you take a guy who's used to playing 18, 19 minutes, he's playing 13, 14 minutes, there's an adjustment there. So I think uh, Pavelski, Ben, uh, Pavelski, Radulov, Sagan, all of them obviously from a numbers and offensive perspective 
a change in coach or a change in <laughs> philosophy would definitely be welcomed when it came to uh, putting puck in the net. Yeah. Though, again, like, I don't want to be like critical because like the Stars team for most of the season was mm-hmm. looking like one, like you said, like one of the top teams in the league, aside from some the early and, and late stretch. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. But just to finish the the yeah. quartet here, Alex Radulov also obviously had this big drop. He was over point per game, 2018, 19, and then only 34 points in 60 games uh, this past season. Uh, his numbers were down though. Again, we've kind of explained that. So yeah, I guess same question as before, and then we can move on to different types of questions. Yeah. But uh, like, do you think Radulov sort of just ha- suffered the same fate as like a Pavelski? Or do you think this is more of a Jamie Ben situation where maybe at his age and he also plays like a more physical game, do you think maybe he's just starting to feel the wear and tear? Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of aging. I also think... Radulov is such a wild card in general. Um, it's funny. You think about for what his numbers are. And I mean, Alexander Radulov really, his season probably perfectly captures what the Dallas Stars season is. Um, he ended the season. He's well, I guess he's still currently in the middle of a 13 game goal drought before that we're headed into the stoppage. But you look at his numbers and, you, and you'd, you'd think, you'd think instantly based off his numbers, oh, his season's been a flop. But you go back to October when the Stars are down 3 nothing to the Minnesota Wild, and that was a night where this is right after the 1-7-1 stretch, and this is a game against a Wild team that was not good at the time. And if they lose this game in October, people might be getting fired. That's the legitimate vibe you're feeling, and it's 3 nothing with five minutes left in the second period, and Alexander Radulov scores this goal where he dives to his left and bats a rebound past Devin Dubnik and then ends up having a hat trick and a 6-3 win. And it sparked and really sparked that big run that really kind of helped save the season. So he scores one of the biggest goals of the year. And then when the Stars are playing in maybe the biggest regular season game in franchise history in the Winter Classic, he scores the game-winning goal in the Cotton Bowl in front of 86,000 people. And and so it's, and then, so it's amazing to think about the, with what the highlights are for Radulov's season about the numbers and how it just it, it really perfectly captures the star season. There's these amazing highs and then these lows. Um, he's someone who there's no evidence to this at all, but I think it's something where it's a little bit more of wear and tear and kind of getting completely healthy. And so he's someone who maybe this stoppage really puts everything, help resets everything in a positive way. Um, during the 13 game, uh, during the 13 game gold drought, he had, that included a stretch where he missed game or two. I'm drawing a blank in my head right now. Missed a game or two because of injury. And so he's someone who I'm not blaming the entire season on injury. That's not what I'm doing, but he's someone who I think can kind of use a fresh reset. And then once things get going again, he can kind of be that, that same, that similar player. Um, he's the person who I think can kind of get back to prior numbers because we, I've seen him still take over games it's just kind of finding that consistency. And then the other big thing for him is he's just got to stay out of the box because there's too many times that he just ends up in the box and it just kind of disjoints him too early in a game. Right. Yeah. It is interesting looking at his game log. Actually, you're totally right. I didn't really catch it, but so a really slow start. Then that game with the four points against Minnesota. And then he went on like a really strong run. And then like you say, yeah, the, at the end, he goes on this goal drought and yeah, he missed three of those games due to injury, including the last two going into the pause. So yeah, definitely. It could only help him to have a break and try to get healthy. Uh, okay, so now I guess let's go 
to the other side of people's careers, people who are starting in the league closer to their time in the Texas Stars team. And I want to start with Rupe Hintz, who is someone that a lot of people were earmarking as a potential like sleeper breakout candidate coming into the season. He had that strong finish in 2018-19. He had 11 points in his final 14 games. He was finding himself on a line with Sagan and Radulov a lot of the time. And then of all of the stars, Hintz was maybe the shining the brightest at the start of the season. You know, when everyone was struggling, Hintz had 11 points in his first 16 games. And then unfortunately, he went down with a lower body injury. And then once he returned, uh, it, he wasn't able to get things going again, at least offensively, like his ice time decreased significantly. He only managed 22 points through his final 44 games. And I see that he was playing on lines with guys like Gurianov and Jason Dickinson, and not the big names that he had been having success with previously. So do you think that hints this season sort of was hindered by this injury and that sort of took the wind out of his sails and going into next season, we should still expect him to be this breakout star just one year later? Or do you think that we saw an issue this year that should make us you know, wary of thinking maybe he has it in him? Because there's been so many Dallas players, I should say, like since I've even yeah. done this podcast, we're always thinking, oh, look at this player playing with Ben and Sagan. And then, you know, someone looks good. And then, you know, a couple of years later, we even forget that we ever talked about this guy. So I'm just curious, like what category is Rupe Hinson? I'm sure everyone loved Alex Shazon at one point. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess he went to Edmonton and proved he could be a random great. Oh yeah, when he was playing with McDavid, that was huge. And who was that guy who went to Anaheim and did really well, but then just got injured? There was someone who was like Ben Sagan. I forget his name. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, while you talk about Rupe Hintz, I'm going to look up who this guy was that went to Anaheim. But uh, but yeah, Hintz is. a Hintz is a classic example to me. The injury definitely came into play, but the other thing about Hintz that really, uh, he kind of, when you come into the NHL and you're able to break out like Hintz did in a playoff series against St. Louis, then early in the year and everything like that, I think he went through the classic kind of, the league doesn't know who you are and doesn't know your tendencies. And he took advantage of that. And then I think as he came, as he was coming back from the injury, coaches and other teams started looking at, okay, this is who Rope Hintz is. This is how, what we have to worry about. And that is something he he'll have to fight through. And do I, I, I think, I think Hintz has a chance to be a great player. I really do. I just think it's going to take him fighting through kind of that, that curve of the league learning about him. And he needs to become a little bit more uh, versatile and just using his speed in a little bit more of a, uh, of a force actually in the offensive zone as opposed to just on the rush. Cause so much of Hintz's offense is created on the rush and that's not something you should stop doing, but he just needs to kind of take that next step um, to actually be more of that threat when, when you're, when a team is cycling or when you're getting set up in this offensive zone. And, and it's, it's interesting too, because I, I legitimately think that with him and Guryanov, I think there is a chance to build a bona fide scoring line there. And, and both of those guys, in my view, should have gotten more minutes this year. Just, just, and that's that's one of the issues of they played young guys and they treated they were kind of treated like young guys minute wise when they should have been treated more like point producers and guys who were kind of carrying the team early. But hence, if as we go into next season and we come out of this, um, I think it's one of those things where I don't think he'll have the kind of surge like we saw to start this season, but I think we'll see kind of somewhere in between the start and the end of the season and he'll find kind of a nice level of consistency is that's kind of my read on it. Um, and he's a guy, and I say that just looking at him 
And I think there's more substance there than there was for a guy like Shazon and stuff like that, because it's not like Hintz is just a random guy playing on someone's line who's creating offense. He was creating a lot of his own offense. You look at his, his goals and assist numbers and, and you look at his play and well, he definitely needs to create more. That's something that he definitely needs to work on, but he is, he actually creates his own offense and it's not as much as a guy who's just sitting on the back door for tap-ins. So he is going to always kind of find offense himself. And I think that's, um, that that's a value right there. Right. So you're saying not just another nobody that could only succeed if he gets on a good line, but also maybe not fully formed yet. And we'll have yeah. to see. And hopefully won't be a casualty of the FCC line again next yeah. year. Mm-hmm. By the way, the player I was thinking of was Patrick Eves. He's yes, the one. yes. Yeah. Yes. So he, he had a really good run at the end there with Dallas and was looking really good playing with mm-hmm. uh, Getzlaff and who was like Corey Perry, maybe on, on Anaheim, but then yeah. he caught injured, so it was too bad. Uh, so then the other rookie that you brought up here is Denis Gurionov, who mm-hmm. had his first foolish, I guess, season this year, and he did quite well for himself. He had 20 goals and 29 points in 64 games. And this was with only around like 13 minutes of ice time. So it's pretty good to score 20 goals, yeah. not even playing so much. Uh, at this point, is Gurionov like someone we should be considering as similar to Hints, like on the same level now going into next year in terms of point upside? Yeah, and I think I think I think Gurionov though has more of the tools to be an overall goal scorer. Um, Gurionov is a guy who not only Gurionov can fly; he's one of the um, no one is as fast as Connor McDavid in the NHL, but he is someone who I would like to see if you were creating heats of top tier players, Gurionov would probably would be the player Dallas would send. And Gurionov can fly. And then the other thing too is they started to turn him into, um, and this, uh, this was actually one of the pop, one of the real positives offensively is the stars started to turn him into a power play weapon after the uh, coaching change. They called up when, when Jim Montgomery got fired um, to help fill the bench, they called they their AHL coach, Derek Blackstall came up and started running the power play. And he started putting Garyanov in the one-timer spot, and Garyanov has has a cannon. Garyanov has a has a has a has a shot. It's a reason he was a first-round pick. And so, Garyanov to me has higher point potential than Hints, just because of the raw tools, both on the rush and the uh, and and the and the shot he has that he can use in the zone. Then for for him, one of the biggest questions will just be. Can he take the next step to actually create more for teammates? Because right now, so much of it is he gets the puck, it's an exciting rush, and he creates something. He gets the puck, he's shooting. Can he add that element where he can be at least a threat to be a passer? And that's just going to be the thing we have to kind of watch. But as far as just goal scoring, he's someone who I think he's going to be expecting him to hit 20, 30 goals a year isn't unrealistic. I think it should become the norm. Yeah, I mean, just looking at this past season, like we said, if, with more ice time, who knows what he would have done. And this is as a rookie, so it'll be really exciting to see what he could do. And interesting to hear that you think he has higher points upside than Rupe Hints moving forward. Because I know people were like really excited about Hints going into this year. Uh, then I guess we have a couple of players who haven't yet hit with the stars or actually I think Jason Robertson did I wanted to bring up a couple uh, guys in the minors people always love to hear the prospect talk and I got to imagine people are excited about 2018 13th overall pick Ty Delandria who put Mm -hmm. up 70 points in 32 OHL games this past season with Flint though like it's really funny like to look at AHL point paces just because like I see 70 points in 32 games I think oh he must have been among the top of the league in, in points per game but that like one and a half points per game only ranked him 16th in the OHL Marco Rossi led the 
away with 120 points in 56 games and likely number two pick in the upcoming draft, Quinton Byfield at 82 points in 45 games. So I don't even know how to read into this. Like to me, still 70 points in 32 games seems pretty darn good. Uh, And then also I'll mention uh, Jason Robertson, who's someone we did a show recently with a a prospect expert, Cam Robinson. He was saying that he could see Jason Robertson being ready to take the jump to the big league after having a strong season with Texas, 47 points in 60 games. So I don't know if I'm, I'm missing someone. Like I'm not a big prospect guy myself, but are those the two names of people we should be watching out for? And are either of them people that, that, uh, you know, people are expecting are going to be like the next big stars, no pun intended on the team. Yeah. Well, so the stars have the stars prospect pool. It really isn't that deep, but there are three guys who you kind of look at as building blocks for the future. And you, you mentioned two of them, Delandria and uh, Jason, uh, Jason Robertson and Robertson is a, Delandria to me, you look at him and he kind of projects as uh, he could be a pretty good second line center in the NHL. Maybe he becomes a third line center guy, but he's the type of guy who the floor is already there where he's going to play in the NHL. We're just going to see what happens against tougher competition, right? Um, Robertson is the is is could be a top line could be a top line winger in the NHL. He is his offensive instincts are great. Um, he, his first NHL game this year was, came in Toronto. He helped, uh, he helped set up a, he helped set up a goal in his first game. Uh, he, he, he kind of has that knack for goal scoring with Robertson. Really the question is going to be how quickly can he earn the coach's trust in all situations, which is one of those things where that's going to be Frank, we may have a position battle for there may be one forward spot going into 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 training camp in the for the 2020-21 season, and it could be between Ty Delandria and Jason Robertson. And mm. it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if Delandria got the spot just because he's more reliable in all three zones and he's he's safer. Let's I'll put it that way. I think I think Deland- Robertson though is a guy who he can be he can be a scorer in the NHL. The other one kind of the other third prospect that and this is their top prospect and this is the guy that to keep a big eye on. Oh, can I take a guess before you say? Yes. Yeah, is of it, course. Is it Jake Odinger? Uh he he's right there but the big one is Thomas Harley. Thomas ah. Harley is the uh the defenseman they drafted uh with the with their first round pick in Vancouver last year and Harley is um Harley, if he is allowed to, uh, if if he's if he's allowed to play his game and and skate and everything like that, he's fun to watch. He's a tremendous skater. He puts up a ton of points. Um, he's a guy that may play in the NHL next year as a 19 year old. The Stars gave him a full seven eight games in preseason last year, and so he's someone to definitely keep an eye on as the Stars build build their young defense because he's someone who could be that long-term one. If Miro Hishman is obviously your top pairing defenseman, Thomas Harley could be the long-term second pairing guy right behind him. So he's the one to watch. And um, you mentioned Ottinger and Ottinger to me is someone definitely to keep an eye on, but it's just, I go back to the old saying that I've heard before where goalies are voodoo. And so it's hard to predict what happens with goalies. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think, I think Ottinger has a chance and I, I really like his technical game. I really like what he does. Um, I really liked his work in the first year in the AHL, but I just kind of, I've seen, I've seen a lot of goalies have success in college in the AHL and it's never translated to anything more. And so 
I just am always a little bit more reserved on waiting to see uh, proof of NHL life, for lack of a better word, from goalie prospects. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's even goalie uh, veterans that all of a sudden turn out to be not good all of a sudden. So yeah, with prospects, it must be really hard to predict. Uh, Man, I'm really kicking myself now for interrupting you to not then say Jason Harley. I should have just let you talk and I could have then afterwards been like, oh yeah, obviously Jason Harley is looking looking fantastic. But yeah, so let's talk about the D now. And it's very interesting that you say that this guy might come up and already play next year and maybe throw a wrench into already an interesting situation. I shouldn't say a wrench. uh, What's the opposite of a wrench? A helpful, a balm. It would be it would be a solution if Harley's able to come and play next year. It'd be a solution because right now the stars right now they're built well with you have Klingberg Lindell, you have Hishkin, and you have Stephen Johns. And Stephen Johns is one of the best stories in the NHL this year after he missed 22 months fighting the post traumatic headaches, came back and has kind of really helped shore things up. And the stars have they have both Andre Sekera and Roman Polak this year. Um, I don't think either of them will be back. Neither of them should be back based off their play and and needs for the franchise. And so Harley comes in where he could make that team next year and there'll be a, there'll be a young defense, but it'll be a good talk movie defense that can skate, especially with, with Heiskanen and Klingberg and uh, Johns is underrated as a puck mover. I think people forget about, people forget about Steven Johns quite a bit because he was out of the NHL for 22 months with mm-hmm. the, with, with the ailment, but he, uh, he's definitely kind of been a, been a nice boost. And so the defense, uh, there's some young guys and it's a young core to really build around. And it's definitely, uh, it's kind of one of those things, I guess, from a points perspective that is fascinating to watch where it's both good for the stars because you're sharing the wealth, but maybe it's also, it's also, one of the reasons John Klingberg has kind of taken a little bit of a step back just because you don't have because uh, for a while it was John Klingberg. He was going to be, he was really the only puck mover. He was really the guy playing those all opportunities. And then Heishkin has started to steal a little bit of that. And as a coach, I think that's a wonderful problem to have, but if you're playing fantasy hockey, it's right. probably not the best, best thing for John Klingberg owners. Yeah. Not great for Klingberg owners, not great else for Haskin and owners who have Klingberg in his way. And then Jason Harley in prospect league. So let, like you say, yeah, great for the coach and the team, not great for their individual numbers. Cause yeah, we're just a couple years away from Klingberg having 67 points, 2017, 18, which was huge. And then this season in contrast, only 32 points in 58 games for a 45 point pace. And I I guess it sounds like you're saying we shouldn't be expecting Klingberg to get back up to like 60 plus points, not because of a lack of talent, but just because now there's more wealth that has to be shared. Like you were saying before that you'd like to see Dallas go back to like a top power play where they give mm-hmm. the most minutes to the top players. Who do you think will, if they do that next year, which defenseman is getting the job to quarterback that top power play? Well, it should probably still be Klingberg, but it's, it's, it's one of those where, um, it should probably still be Klingberg getting that job. He his vision of how he walks the the line up there and how he can float pucks through is great. And I think they need to continue building on what he's starting to building with the with uh, the Velsky. And I think Hishkin should be part of the power play mix for sure. But Klingberg is still elite at running it from up there and uh, just with 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 the fit. So I think I think you're going to see Miro Hishkin and running power plays in Dallas for a long time. But I also think while John Klingberg is there, it's still going to be Klingberg's show for at least the next couple of years uh, on the first unit, at least. 
Okay, so maybe there is still this upside for Klingberg, but of course it does depend a lot on the coaching and if they decide to not go 50-50, in which case neither of them has this like 60-point plus upside for a defenseman. And I guess, yeah, let's finish off now in Nets. Uh, One of the big shining lights for Dallas over the past couple of seasons has been their goaltending tandem of Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin. They were behind only Boston this year in team save percentage. Uh, They had a 920 save percentage behind Boston's 921. Arizona came third with 919. And then fourth place was Colorado all the way down in another stratosphere at 913. So it was really like the top three teams. And then everyone else was like so much worse. Uh, Then Dallas. Dallas also came in second last season, 2018-19. They had a 923 team save percentage, but they couldn't beat out Robin Leonard and Thomas Grice over on the Islanders who had a 925. And by the way, sneak peek for Kevin Carlson. We're going to be talking about the Islanders in our next interview. But uh, uh, yeah, so, and again, like Boston, who's the team that had a better save percentage than Dallas this year, the only team to do so, Dallas has to deal with the fact that one half of their tandem, their 1B, Anton Hudobin, is a pending unrestricted free agent. And I'd imagine should be looking for a raise from his 2019-20 cap hit after putting up a 930 save percentage in 30 games this past season. Uh, Boston was somehow able to get Yaroslav Halak to agree to a one-year contract extension for only $2.25 million. Do you think Dallas will be able to get Hudobin to do the same? Or do you think that he's going to ask for more and they might have to let him walk? Well, I, I think the Halak deal, I think it's important to keep in context that that's really a 3.5 because obviously it's got the Halak's is the 2.25, but it's a, a very easy game kicker. Once he hits 10 games played, it there's a 1.25 million bonus. So really, it's oh, okay. 5. I didn't know that. So Halak is really a 3.5, really. It's, um, and it's a sneaky way. It's, a, it's not, I mean, it's not sneaky. It's, it's legal. It's, it's, but it's, it's a way of, it's a way for Boston of kind of if the uh, with the bonus money, if the south the bonus money you can potentially roll over to the next year if you need to if the cap is lower with all of this uh, global pandemic stuff happening. So really, the comp if you're looking at it is three point five million for a year, and I think that's a fair comparison for what Anton Hudobin should get and probably will get is three point five. If he's looking for one year, maybe it's one year three point five. If he's looking for some more long term stability, maybe he's looking at looking for maybe a fair ask is a three by three or something like that. Um, Dallas, if he's looking for the the interesting thing with Hudobin and Dallas will be what does Hudobin want when it comes to years first because if we mentioned Ottinger earlier, kind of the plan for Dallas is to have Ottinger marinate for one more year in the AHL, then have him serve as Ben Bishop's backup to kind of usher in the tutelage into Bishop to Ottinger as the starter. Um, so if, if Hudobin wants that three-year deal to kind of get that final security for a career, I don't think he's back in Dallas. But if he's interested in signing a one-year deal or maybe even a two-year deal, um, he'll be he'll be back the the stars have the money they have the cap space to do it um signing Hudobin is going to be a priority with on that on that type of term and uh one of the things that it can't be understated about Anton Hudobin is how much how valuable he has been to the team in making and getting the stars a better version of Ben Bishop for the playoffs because um I've I've kind of been I'm kind of of the thought that your starting goalie, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of in the camp that a good NHL goalie, a great NHL goalie, can maintain that for about 75 games. Now, 75 games is total in my mind. So 
if you're planning on playing 20 playoff games, you can't have them play 65 in the regular season. Right. So you really need a backup that can eat 30, a 1B or a backup, whatever term you want to use, that can eat 30 to 35 starts a year successfully, allow you to have that starter fresh, allow that push that starter even, uh, and maybe even seal a start here and there. And then you get that version of Ben Bishop like we saw against St. Louis last year where he was one of the best goalies in the world and really the Stars would have moved on if they could have just scored a goal. And so getting Hudobin back in Dallas and bringing him back is going to be a high priority. Um, I, I uh, With both Bishop and Hudobin, the long-term prognosis and their numbers and everything like that, I saw what they did last year, and I was almost certain they were going to regress a little bit. I said, look, it's two 30-plus goalies. It's two guys who uh, they're, they're definitely going to regress, and they didn't. So uh, my initial reaction, I, I don't want to be wrong again, so I think you can expect kind of something in similar territory. Will it be NHL best next year? I don't know if that's fair, but it's definitely um, these guys have kind of proven – as a tandem that they can kind of fight, they've been able to fight off that aging curve uh, better than I would have expected. Yeah. Well, and I guess it probably goes without saying that this talk before that we were having about the FCC line and playing more defensively that that's got to help the goaltending, right? If they're focusing Mm -hmm. on playing a full, whatever, 60 minutes across the whole, what what do they say? What's that? What's that saying? A full, how, how big is the ring? 30 (laughs) feet? 200. 200, 200 by 85 or whatever it is. Oh, no. Like, now, a full 200-foot game. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, clearly I'm a, a fantasy guy. I don't know. I, I got to watch more more hockey to get these sayings. But anyway, so what do you think happens, now that I've embarrassed myself, uh, if Hudobin does want this, like, three-year deal and they decide not to keep him, do you think Dallas goes out and, like, really tries to find a good backup goalie so that they could continue to only play Bishop like you said, like, you know, max 60, maybe 55, 60 games in the season to keep him fresh for the playoffs? Or do you think maybe they just bring Ottinger up a year early if they're forced to? Or do you think they really would love to leave him in the minors for one more year? I, I think you'll see a veteran backup, whether it's Hudobin or someone else. And I, th- I think there's a strong commitment to giving Ottinger. They want Ottinger, They want to see Ottinger act as... They want to see Ottinger as a starter in the AHL this year. They want to see him kind of uh, take that. They want to see what he can do with that to really test him and prove that he can be this pro starter for a full year. So that's going to happen with Ottinger. And basically the question is whether it's Hudobin or is it another free agent on the market? And really, I think it's, I, I, my, I think it's going to be Hudobin because I think this, um, I, I think kind of the finances and economics of what Halak signed and kind of with the global impact on the salary cap, um, it's not a very good year to be a free agent. And so Hudobin may even be in a better spot to take the one-year deal at 3.5. And if he can do what he does, if he can do, do some, does something similar, he can maybe get more as a free agent the next year. So I, I think Hudobin will be back in Dallas, and I think it's something that is a fit um, because I also see at the other places he could go um, where maybe you could even play more games or maybe a little more money. I just don't see the opportunity to win like he would have in Dallas. And I know Anton is someone who getting a chance to win um, is something that's really important as he gets into the later part of his career. Right, yeah. And also he seems to be playing his best hockey right now as yep. a 34-year-old. Mm-hmm. So why why mess mm-hmm. with that? Uh, so, okay, thank you so much for all this time you've given us. I guess one final question 
uh, before I let you go, we've been asking this to all of our beat writers. If we're looking to next season now, and I, obviously we've talked through a bunch of players. If we had to pick one player who you think might be the biggest like surprise for next season in a positive way, someone who we, we may have low on our radars and then is really going to impress us. And then also one player that's going to be like the biggest disappointment who we're expecting a lot from that we're going to end up not getting what we hoped for. Who would be your picks be for the biggest positive surprise and biggest disappointment? Yeah, from a, from a fantasy perspective, I think Jason Robertson is definitely someone who could be, you could look smart if you snag Jason mm. Robertson and he comes in and, and win and truly wins that job out of training camp because he's got the offensive instinct and he's going to play and he's not going to be, um, he's going to, if Jason Robertson isn't going to make the NHL to play on a third or fourth line, he's going, if he's in the NHL, he's going to play in a top two line. While a guy like we talked to mentioned Ty Delandria earlier, Ty Delandria could make the team as a fourth liner and then you're not going to really see that point production in that role, in that role in deployment. Robertson, if he makes the team, is going to have those opportunities, and he has he has those tools to be there. The one, just as far as disappointment, and we talked about him earlier, and it's just one of those because I think there's the perception that people need to. It's the perception that is going to continue to be there because people are going to keep hoping there's going to be a bounce back. Is it's just going to it's, it's Jamie Ben's point totals. It's not it's. You're still going to have, I know there's still a big perception of he's the old version of Jamie Ben and he's the old version of Jamie Ben. He can be this guy that's going to bounce back. He's making this much money for that reason. And I just, I think having faith in that is, is foolish. And so that's probably going to be the disappointment. If you think you can, you're building a fantasy team and you think you can get Jamie Ben as a steal, it, there's probably a reason he's falling to that territory. Right. Yeah, I think uh, it's hard to call someone as like someone who's going to be a disappointment after having such a rough season. But at the same time, I think you're right that people are still going to be hoping that the old Jamie Ben will come back. So it's interesting to hear that you're like, listen to Sean, don't don't bank on it. Uh, so that's too bad. But again, thanks so much for all the time that you gave us here. I wanted to ask you really quick about a couple of things you've written yep. that are really interesting to me. First of all, on The Athletic, I saw you wrote an article recently about what would, have ha- what would happen if the Cowboys <laughs> stars... Mavericks and Rangers played each other in all the different sports. What made you think of this article? And like, what were your, I guess we don't want to spoil the ending. It was such a fascinating article. Yeah, it was uh, just, I mean, well, really it's, it's start of idle time during all of this where (laughs) idle time and we're sitting at home during all of this. And really I got to give a credit to a reader who asked me this question. It was just, uh, I'd been working on a mailbag for the week and a a reader asked me what would happen if the uh, four major sports teams in Dallas all played against each other in their respective sports who would win and it was one of those where you start thinking about it and I, I read the question and I thought about it and then I think I was making dinner that night and you start thinking about it and, and when your brain starts going deeper and deeper into the wormhole you're like you know what I'm gonna write about this and <laughs> so it was it was uh it's kind of fun to take a look into and not to spoil the whole thing people should go read it but basically it's kind of fun to take a look of while it's completely ridiculous in this hype ridiculous in this fantasy world uh it's still a uh they're still able to apply some fact to it like for example the uh just the stars would actually field a rather good baseball team jamie Mm -hmm. ben was a uh was was looked at as a pretty good baseball recruit ben bishop was was probably one of the biggest catchers you'll ever see and played at a pretty high level through high school. Uh, Steven Johns is a pretty good center fielder. So it was kind of fun to just kind of take a look at, just think about these athletes from different sports and what would apply if we uh, take this world where 
we uh, we turned injuries off. We said it was like a video game, so you could play mm-hmm. multiple games in a day. We turned off injuries and see what would happen. Hey, I mean, I'm all in. I've been watching The Last Dance, like I was, like I said. So I'm into like multiple sports for the same people. I think this would be a lot of fun. I think that uh, once sports come back, I think we should start with this as like a preseason and get these games yeah. to actually happen. I, I like how for football, you even started digging into like if it was flag football versus tackle football. You you made sure to mm-hmm. cover all the angles. Definitely, there are so, there are some sports teams in Dallas that would it would behoove them to play flag football as opposed to. Uh, the uh, full contact version. Right, yeah. Well, I definitely would want Jamie Ben to be playing flag football so he could preserve whatever he's got left for the NHL games. Uh, okay, and then also you have a book that you've written, which I see is available on Amazon, 100 Things Stars Fans Should Do Before They Die. Do you want to maybe tell our listeners about that? And I'll link to it in the show notes if someone wants to pick it up. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, yeah, book that I uh, kind of, uh, 100, 100 Things Stars Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. It's kind of a, collection of a hundred stories and a hundred stories and anecdotes just kind of about the franchise history. Obviously there's some of the more well-known things. Obviously we talk about the 99 Stanley cup, some of those games and and, and everything like that. There's some, there's some interviews in there with former players. And there's also some kind of fun, um, some, some fun stuff that I don't think has been told much before that. Like for example, kind of the story behind the, uh, the trade for, the stars traded for uh, Sergey Zubov and they traded Kevin Hatcher for Sergey Zubov and how, when the trade was made, the stars owner at the time was on a boat in the black sea and missed the phone call, but they, mm. <laughs> but they, but they still made the trade on draft day. So uh, kind of a fun thing where if you're, if you're a stars fan, it's, it'll be a little bit of reminiscing and maybe learning a little bit. And even if you're not, I tried, I think I do a pretty good job of kind of connecting stars history to other parts of the nhl just for example there's kind of a kind of a fun example is uh you don't have the you don't we don't have the john scott all-star game story without the 2007 nhl all-star game in dallas just because of uh everyone everyone needs everyone forgets the uh rory fitzpatrick voting attempt by the canucks fans in 2007 and that kind of all started when the all-star game was in dallas Oh, interesting. Okay. I, I did forget about that also. So I'm gonna have to go check out Wikipedia to read about Rory Fitzpatrick and, and check out this book. How about this? Uh, if people want to make fun of me for not knowing how long a hockey rink is, how about a uh, tweet with a hashtag 200 feet? Uh, and then uh, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll get a book for one person. Okay, we'll make a draw of the people who make fun of me with a tweet. So hashtag two, the number 200 feet. And then I'll pick one of those and send the book to Canada or the US. So one person gets a free book and everyone else should, should go and order it. It looks really fun. So Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, aside from checking out this book, people should follow you at Sean Shapiro and check out your work on The Athletic. Is, is there anything else you want to plug before we end this? Um, as far as uh, just just kind of recent work and just with the athletic one of the things i've kind of excited about coming out this week it's actually we've talked a lot about jamie ben the hockey player but i've got a pretty good story coming out this week on jamie ben kind of looking at his impact and kind of the other side of jamie ben he's very guarded jamie's very guarded when it comes to his personality um he's he's he doesn't like to share a lot about himself and so i've been kind of working on a story about who jamie bennett ben is as a person the story I've been working on for a little while, talking to a bunch of teammates, talking to uh, other people in the community. So I got a story on that coming out this week that I'm pretty excited about people seeing. So uh, check that out. I think it's uh, coming out Wednesday and I'm not sure what day this is. This podcast is coming out, but 
around around that time. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll drop this on Wednesday so people can definitely go and check out this deep dive into Jamie Benton. Perfect. Cool. Uh, so thanks so much again for joining us and talking through all of the Dallas Stars. And if there is playoff hockey, good luck to the Stars. I think that they'd be a team I'd maybe be betting on more on now than I would have before, now that Radulov and Ben get some time to rest. Yeah, it'll be. It, it, they're a team that's uh, stoppage probably is better for them than most teams. Obviously, the stoppage isn't good for anyone for us, but, and hopefully everyone's yeah. staying safe out there. But uh, it'll be, a, it could be a silver lining from a hockey perspective. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks again, Sean, so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. How about that? Thanks so much again to Sean Shapiro for joining me for that conversation. Man, I can't believe we never mentioned on the podcast because we didn't know the FCC line. Faxa, Cogliano, and Como are the reasons that all of these Dallas Stars superstars didn't get as many points. Wow, who knew? Something to watch for next year. Also, if you didn't catch it, uh, I was being for reals. All you have to do is tweet at us sometime the next, I don't know, let's give it a week. Uh, Tweet the hashtag 200 feet. That's 200 feet. Make fun of me for not knowing how long an NHL rink is. And I will pick one of the people who tweet that hashtag to send a copy of Sean's book, 100 Things Stars Fans Should Do Before They Die. How about that, right? In Canada and USA. Let's not go crazy here. But okay, with that, I guess let's cue the outro music. And since Brian isn't here, I guess it's up to me to read you the credits. So this podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. And you can become one by going to keithandcarlson.com slash patron. Logos from Brandon Weeb. Outro music by Pat Roach. And this episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, which kind of is Dauber Hockey, Dauber Prospects. Actually, you know what? None of this other stuff I really use. I pretty much just use Dauber Hockey and then Sean Shapiro, who, of course, provided the majority of the insights for this show. Again, we hope you've been enjoying our 31 Beats series. Please tweet at us at Keith and Carlson with any feedback that you may have. And we're just going to keep on rolling. I've already got a couple other interviews scheduled. We're going to try our best to get every single team in the league. So watch for our next episode drop this coming Sunday. And until then, keep on keeping Carlson.